two weeks ago, we gave a message from this pulpit from the book of Revelation where Christ said to the church of Philadelphia, behold, I set before you an open door which no man can shut. Today, um, I would like to talk to you about not an open door, but I want to talk to you about an open window. So if you take your Bibles and go to Daniel chapter 6, Daniel chapter 6, I'm going to begin reading at verse 7. I just ask that as you're sitting there, those of you who are with me today, would you just ask God by the power of the Holy Spirit to strengthen me and to help me deliver this word that I believe he has for us today and that we will all open our hearts to receive it. Daniel chapter 6, starting with verse 7. We are all in agreement. There's a list of leaders. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, we're all in agreement that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. I bet you know this story. And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so that it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law, verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room. Don't you love it? With its windows open. Say, windows open. With his windows open toward Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day. I would assume morning, noon, and night. Scripture doesn't say. But he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. There's a little quick message there, and that is this. You can't ever thank God enough for all that he's done for you. Morning, noon, and night, all day long. That's why we sang, his praise shall ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. At this point, Daniel had been around a long time. He's not a novice to the kingdom of God. He's not a novice to the ways of God. He's not a novice in anything about belonging to God. And obviously, he has disciplined himself over the years to faithfully go to his room to pray and opening his window toward Jerusalem. Now, according to what we've read, there is, as can happen with society and with mankind, there's this sudden decision that those in leadership, we had the list of them in the first part of the verse, sudden decision that those in leadership, they want to be God, which appears to have been also in the heart of this king, King Darius. Can you think of the foolishness of all that? Utter foolishness. You can't pray to anybody but to the king as if that's going to do you any good. And you know what? Throughout history, we've seen occasions where uh, society or those in leadership, they want to become God, but they have a problem that in order to even try to pretend to do so, they have to get rid of all the opposition. And so typically what happens, one of the first things that you'll see is that laws will then be enacted to prohibit prayer. Can you imagine that? Have we seen that in our day? But it's a pattern that we see in Scripture. When they prohibit prayer, there's something else going on. There's a reason why that's happening. Somebody else wants to be God. 
Somebody else wants your loyalty and your affection and your, your attention. When you begin to see that happening, it means something, the society or leadership somewhere is up to something. Now, you can do anything you want to do in an end zone to celebrate a touchdown. You can, the only thing you can't do is you can't raise a finger to God or raise a hand to God because that could be punishable as taunting or excessive celebration. You can do a happy dance, you can spike the ball, you can turn cartwheels, you can stand on your head, but you cannot point a finger heavenward to acknowledge the Lord. That's the day we're living in today. Am I telling you the truth? And so we see laws which prohibit prayer. Can't pray in public schools. Not supposed to pray at sporting events. A lot of places you cannot pray in public. Probably the place where you work, prayer is not allowed. You can't pray in colleges. Anytime government tries to become the God of the people, you will see an incessant move of prohibiting prayer, and quite often it comes with a threatening consequence if anyone tries to disobey. So our text that we've read today shows us a situation whereby a law was enacted by the authorities forbidding prayer to anyone but the king. In this case, it is King Darius. However, with full knowledge of this new law, fully aware, Daniel goes straight home to pray with his window open toward Jerusalem. Now, let's look at this a second. The decree, the law enacted according to Scripture, and I paused when I said it a moment ago, it was only for 30 days. You could only pray to King Darius for the next 30 days, and Daniel's been praying all of his life. He's not a young man. He's an old man at this point. He's been praying all of his life, three times a day. So, it would be easy for him to say with this new law enacted, what is the big deal? I mean, why not just take a break for 30 days? Hasn't he done plenty of praying in his life? Surely God knows that Daniel is faithful to him. He would surely know that. Why run the risk of loss of liberty, loss of life, just for the purpose of getting on your knees and opening your window toward Jerusalem? Surely that's not a big deal. Plenty of people will be making that compromise unless there's something about that window that we don't really understand. That's the difference. What was it about the window? What was it about going up to his room to pray that even for the possibility of losing his life or his liberty, his freedoms, he would not even for a day, not for one day, allow that window to be closed? I think we have to ask the question, why? As I said, Daniel's an old man now, but I think he knew something. Not a novice to the work of God, not a novice to the ways of God. I think Daniel knew something about the mercy of God. Our friend, my friend and Pastor Brent's friend, Jaron, every time I say this, I have to, that song, that line from the bridge of the song, the justice of God saw what I had done, but mercy saw me through the sun. What's the rest of it? Got to sing it. Justice of God saw what I've done. Mercy saw me. Not what I was, but what I could be. That's how mercy saw me. I don't know if anybody's thankful for it today, but the God we serve looks at us through a lens called mercy. 
It's a mercy lens that he looks upon you today. And that lens is covered with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. That's why there's mercy in the house of God today. That's why there's mercy for you and mercy for me. We deserve judgment, but we get mercy because we serve a merciful God. Thy loving kindness is better than life. Daniel knew something about the mercy of God. For it was in his study of the word of God that he understood that God had already decreed through the prophet Jeremiah that the time of discipline of God's people in Babylon was going to be 70 years. But Daniel's fully aware of all of the facts here. He was aware that they were coming close to the end of that 70-year period of exile in Babylon. So it's right on the threshold. Hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. Right on the threshold of this victory, the victory of God's people being released from captivity in Babylon, they are right at the threshold of it that this pressure comes to stop praying and it comes upon the people of God. Isn't that interesting? Let's project that onto our own day, church. Take a look at the depravity of our own society and that which we see in the news every day. I don't know about you. I scan it on the internet, got my page that I look at, and often, it happened yesterday, it happened the day before, I look at it, I go, my God, my God, my God. What is this world coming to? Am I the only one or has that happened to anybody else? We seem to be, on the one hand, spiraling down faster and faster, and yet on the other hand, whether it's real or implied, there is this pressure coming upon the people of God in our nation that we are to abandon prayer. It's all happening in the same way at the same time, or at least that we are to close the window, in a sense, to prayer. Unfortunately, you can even hear tones of it in the conversations within the church. All too often, that which is happening in the world seeps into the church one way or another. You can hear it in the conversations. Dan, why are you always asking people to come to a prayer meeting? Don't you know that that means we've got to come back a second time to church? It means I've got to get up off the couch and I've got to get ready again. And we've done a lot of praying over the years. Surely God has either heard us or he hasn't. You can hear that in the church, in the tones in the church. In all honesty, I feel that pressure. Why don't we just close the window to prayer? We could do that, you know. But with King Darius now grasping for absolute authority literally wanting to be God to the people. Daniel goes straight to his room, as he had done three times a day for all of his life. He opens that window, and he begins to pray. Now, it seems obvious to me that he had to have known something within his spirit. I think he knew that they were closer to victory than they had ever been before. I think he was, exper he was experienced enough in God to have known that even in the midst of judgment, even in the midst of an extremely depraved time in where he was, God has always shown himself to be merciful. Who's thankful for it today? Now, being a student of the Word... Daniel would have known that God is merciful, especially when the people seem to have lost all hope. It's the same idea that the psalmist gives us in Psalm 107. Let me, let me show this to you. Talking about people who have no hope. Talking about understanding the mercy of God comes at that moment. The psalmist said, they wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. Desolate. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. 
But then, what did they do? They, oh, I can't hear you. They what? You know what concerns me, Bethesda? I'm wondering as I look across the landscape of the church today, is the church losing its ability to cry out to the Lord? We have our services that get all smooth and polished and things go so well. I don't know about you, but the challenges that I face and the difficulty of the day for me, there are times I have to cry out to the Lord. And I pray to God in this house that we will always and ever be able to retain our ability to know what it is and to value and to appreciate our ability to cry out to God. You say that like you almost mean it, folks. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And Daniel would have seen that those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction in irons, sit in the shadow of death? In darkness, bound in affliction. Doesn't that sound like America today to anybody? Whole towns, portions of cities given over to darkness, the opioid addiction becoming a national crisis. You do understand that our problem is not drugs. The problem is despair. The problem is in the soul of mankind. That's where the problem is. The problem is hopelessness. The problem is inability to see anything positive about your future. Now, that drives people to drugs, drives people to all kinds of things, but, that, but the real problem is not the drugs. The real problem, or how they're self-medicating, the real problem is the desperation in the soul of mankind today. That's the problem. Those who sat in darkness... And in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. When are we going to be honest with ourselves? Honest enough to say that we have only lightly esteemed the Word of God. When are we going to be honest enough that in our day, in our generation, we have only lightly esteemed the holiness of God? I didn't say this was going to be an easy sermon today, folks. For some of us have taken the testimony of Christ, which was handed down to you by a godly heritage. Some of us have taken the testimony of Christ given to us and dealt with it very casually. We probably didn't pay the price for it that our grandparents did. We probably didn't understand the desperation that our parents, our grandparents, and our great-grandparents did. And it has caused some of us to take that testimony of Christ and deal with it very casually, if not flippantly. Verse 12, therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Oh, but here's what Daniel knew. Then they cried out to the Lord. Somebody say cried out to the Lord. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And what did he do? He saved them of their distresses. Is there a hallelujah in the house today for that? Listen, the next time you hit it, hit the wall, and you have this desperate need to cry out to the Lord, for some of you it happened this last week, some of you it's going to happen this week, you better be thankful that we serve a merciful God that when you cry out to the Lord, He will save you and, and deliver you of your distresses. Verse 14, he brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death. Oh, hallelujah. What a merciful God we have. 
and broke their chains in pieces. Going to verse 17, fools, the the psalmist says, because of their transgression, because of their iniquities, they were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Oh, but then what did they do? In their trouble. And what did he do? Out of their distresses. Hallelujah. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their distractions. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And at the end of this psalm, the psalmist includes with verse 43 where he says, whoever is wise will observe these things and they will understand thy loving kindness is better than life. (laughs) You old timers remember that. Understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Whoever is wise, whoever studies the word of God, will understand that it is in the heart of God to be merciful. But when we study the Old Testament, there's a pattern which becomes obvious, and I want you to see it today. Before God judges a society, he pulls back the veil, if you will, because he's righteous. Pulls back the veil. Let me show you in Ezekiel's day what happened. In Ezekiel's day, God pulled back the veil. He takes Ezekiel into the temple. He shows Ezekiel what the priests are thinking, what's going on in their mind. And then he shows Ezekiel what the people are doing. And he reveals, God reveals, because he pulls back the veil, he reveals the darkness that has crept into their society. And he pulls back the veil to give indication of justice and why he has to judge that society. And who can argue with me in this house today that God is pulling back the veil in America today? Bethesda, the country we live in, it is not a virtuous nation. Just because we say, God bless you and God bless these United States of America, that's wonderful, but that does not make us a virtuous nation. We can sing all kinds of nice songs, that's wonderful. We can say our platitudes, but let us not fool ourselves into thinking that we are something that we are not. Just like God showed Isaiah, from the top of the head to the sole of the feet, there are wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. This nation, many would say and believe, and I think some of them are in this room, we are sick to our core with the sin that is coming into our country. But I believe God is pulling back the veil on America and that there's going to be judgment on this nation. Why? Because we have crossed the line as a society. Where can truth be found anymore? You tell me. Where can truth be found? On your television set? In the media? On the internet that you're watching? All the YouTube channels you're watching? You think there's truth there? Can you believe the the media? Can you believe any politician anymore? Who is left that is truly ruling for the good of the people? And let's talk about the church. Can you even trust what you're hearing from many pulpits in the country today? Or is it that which is simply tickling our ears as we head off into judgment? God, help us. I believe God is pulling back the veil. But listen to this. To Ezekiel, he said this. But I sought for a man who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not have to destroy it. And once again, even in the midst of judgment, God longs to show himself to be merciful. Somebody say, thank God. 
And anytime you look back through history and you see that there has been a spiritual awakening one more time in, in whatever nation, it can always be traced back to a man, traced back to a woman, traced back to a church, even a fellowship, traced back to some group who have given themselves to prayer. They have stood in the gap for their nation. They have chosen to believe that even in the midst of deserving judgment, God can once again show His mercy. And that is exactly what we're going to be praying about in the service tonight at 6 o'clock. I'm looking for people who are ready to come and cry out to God tonight at 6. I'm looking for people who come and say, I want to be part of the, the group who's going to stand in the gap for this nation. We're going to pray for our nation tonight at 6 o'clock in this very room. And so it was with Daniel. Daniel had an open window into the mercy of God. And as a student of the Word of God, he understood things that others did not understand. When the temple was dedicated in Jerusalem, and in those days when the glory of God was there and the dynamic of the presence of an almighty God was made manifest, the people unfortunately dealt casually with the glorious presence of God, and therefore they ended up being taken into captivity in Babylon, which is where they are in the text that we read at the beginning when Daniel was praying before his open window. However, Daniel had access because if you look at the timeline of Scripture, Daniel had access to the word of the Lord given in Second Chronicles. So you want to know why is Daniel bold enough to pray? Why is Daniel willing to defy the orders of the king and go straight back to his room and open his window for prayer? I believe what he knew from Solomon, from Second Chronicles, influenced his life of prayer. Let me show you what Daniel would have read in Scripture coming from the mouth of Solomon. Second Chronicles chapter 6. He's praying to God, when they sin against you, Solomon speaking to the Lord, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, uh, and they take them captive to a land far or near. Imagine being Daniel now, centuries later, reading about his people have just been taken into captivity, or they have been in the past, was coming to an end. They've been taken into captivity, and he's reading this from centuries before, and they take them captive into a land for or near, and yet when they come to themselves, what does that mean? In other words, when they wake up and when they begin to realize, my God, what have we done? Oh my God, what have we done? Why have we abandoned God? Why are we, why are we standing by and letting our families be destroyed? When they come to themselves, why are we letting our children be lied to in their schools and confused about their gender that was given to them by God when we come to ourselves? Why, oh my God, why are we promoting murder in the womb? What is wrong with us as a people? What has happened to us? Why are we allowing light and treacherous people into our pulpits? Why do we allow them to entertain and pacify us while the whole nation goes to hell all around us? When they come to themselves, God help us to come to ourselves. When they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent, and when they make supplication to you, Solomon's talking to the Lord. Daniel's reading this. And repent and make supplication to you in the land of their captivity, saying, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we've committed wickedness. 
And when they return to you with all their heart, and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, where they've been carried captive, and pray toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, and toward the temple which I have built, Solomon, for your name, then, O oh God, will you hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer, and their supplications, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, my God, I pray, Solomon to God, let your eyes be open and let your ears be attentive to the prayer made in this place. And so Solomon's prayer was simply this, God, if the people deal treacherously with you and, and, and therefore end up under judgment, and if they're carried away to places far away, lo and behold, from this house where your glory is, and the place where you have chosen to be and to answer prayer, but, but God, as awful as that would be, when and if they come to themselves in that place and begin to pray again, Solomon said, oh God, would you hear, will you hear their prayer? And no matter how far away they are or how strong the armies might be who are holding them captive, would you bring them home? So then the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. And he said to him, this is God's reply to Solomon, I've heard your prayer, and I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, when I make any of these actions, then if my people who are called by my name, say it with me, will humble themselves. Do we have a merciful God, church? Then give him praise in the house this morning. to our king forever. Now my eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Daniel would have been privy to this conversation with, between God and Solomon. He would have read about it. He would have studied it. And I believe with every fiber of my being this is why Daniel had an open window and he refused to close it no matter what king said anything, no matter what officials or leaders said, whatever they did. He refused because he had discovered in the text of Scripture, he had discovered the mercy of God, and he was diligently following that which God had revealed to him, that in the place of your captivity, if you will look toward Jerusalem and you begin to pray, the heart of God will be activated and you will once again be released and brought home. There had to be something within the heart of Daniel which said, we are closer to our victory than we have ever been. We are so close to our freedom. And I have this strange sense in my own heart that when all hell begins to come against prayer in Daniel's life, it was a confirmation to him. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. You think he's gonna shut that window now? No, not on your life. 
shut the window now. When I've walked with God all these years and I've seen that in the midst of judgment, God would give his mercy and that my people need mercy once again, I ain't shutting no window. Not gonna happen. Because God, here's what I've known about you. Here's what I've learned about you all of my life. You are about to answer us. I can't quit now. And even if they threaten to throw me in the lion's den, I'm gonna keep praying. I'm gonna keep praying. I'm gonna keep praying. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. I've got to be willing to pay the price and to stand up and be a believer in the actual true and living God. And the very hour the decree was signed, and Daniel, we believe, had access to the king's court and probably even witnessed the signing of the decree. And I believe here's what happened. He turned... Watch the sign of that decree. He turned to go home. He went straight smack dab to his upper room. He threw that window open toward Jerusalem. He knelt down on his knees three times that day, and he prayed, and he gave thanks before God as he had always done. And I believe he prayed this, God, I am not closing this window because I'm convinced we are closer to the victory that you have for us than we have ever been. Bethesda, what does that say to you and me today? Just because things get tough, just because the road gets really bumpy, just because the stakes get higher, just because the threatening is there, it is no indication that it's time for us to quit praying. You know what it really is? It's an indication. It's time to turn up the heat on all of our prayer. Turn it up. Turn it up. Settle down, Dan. Now we know there was a law that had been passed. <clears throat> and those who had succeeded in getting the king to pass this ridiculous law found out that Daniel was praying anyway. So they brought that situation to the king. And according to the law of the Medes and Persians, a law that cannot be revoked or changed, he had to be cast into the lion's den. <clears throat> now, let's be human about it for a minute. It would have been very easy for Daniel to have thought, this is awesome. This is the thanks I get, being faithful to you all of my life. Now I get to be an old man and this is it. This is my reward, Lord, for those who stand in the gap and fight for the nation. But Daniel knew, and you and I know, that God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And sometimes, Bethesda, that which looks to be a disaster is actually a victory in the making. <laughs> Dan, you need to remember that in the next couple of weeks. That which looks to be a disaster. How many of you have ever faced a disaster in your life? Come on. It's actually a victory in the making. And you know the story. This man, Daniel, he's allowed by God to be taken captive. <clears throat> he's lowered into the den of lions. He's there overnight, <clears throat> but God sends an angel to shut the mouths of all the lions around him. The king can't sleep that night, bless his heart. He's troubled. Does he... The next morning, he comes with a lamentable voice, Scripture says, to see 
the lion's den and what damage had been done to Daniel because he knew what he had done was wrong. And I just personally get a big measure of joy out of this moment right here. He called out saying, oh, Daniel, has your God been able to preserve your life? And in my unusual imagination, I can just hear Daniel say, good morning. How you doing? All is well down here. But we know that Daniel replied, oh, yes, king, God has protected me. And I have done you no harm. Though I've not stood against you or your kingdom, I am part of a much higher kingdom, and I serve a God who is higher than you, who has more power and authority than you. That's the God that I serve, and he's a God who answers prayer. So King Darius had Daniel removed from that den, and he instructed his servants to cast the men into the den who had caused Daniel to be put there in the first place, the Bible tells us. And it says, and the lions broke all the bones of those men before they ever even got to the bottom. That's about the most fake sympathy I've ever heard in a long time. (laughs) Verse 25. What time is it? Then King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. His dominion shall endure to the end. He is the one who delivers. He is the one who rescues. And he works signs and wonders in heaven and on the earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. In other words, look what happens as a result. Daniel is lifted up because he honored God and therefore God honored him. And he's given a place of even greater access than he had before to the hearts of kings because of his faithfulness. Now, most Theologians who deeply study this text believe that Daniel was probably the instrument that influenced Cyrus, who was then the, the, key to, uh, the king of Medo-Persia, who was holding the people of God captive in Babylon, that, that Daniel was probably the instrument who in, influenced Cyrus to suddenly one day write a decree saying this, whoever wants to get up and go back home to Jerusalem... Whoever wants to rebuild the temple, whoever's ready to get out of your captivity in Babylon, we will let you go. We're going to give you protection. We're going to give you permission, and we're going to give you provision for you to go back home. And may may God be with you as you rebuild the testimony of your God in the earth. From the mouth of a heathen king. That's why Psalm 126 says this about this moment. When the Lord turned again our captivity, we were like those who dreamed. We never believed it could happen because it happened suddenly. Say that word. And Bethesda, just want to give you a little fair warning today. God can bring your deliverance today just like he did back then. Suddenly! 
You're walking along, minding your own business, moping a bit because of your circumstances and the captivity you feel that you're in, and one word from our king, and suddenly you have freedom. Suddenly a decree is written in the spirit. Suddenly something is written in the hearts of God's people. Get up and wake up and get back to the word of God. Get up and wake up and get back into the word, the work of God. Get up and wake up and get back into the righteousness of living for God. Somebody needs to hear that today. And go back and out of the ruins begin to build a testimony of who God is and who God can be in the nation one more time. Here's why. God is the one who will be with you. God will give you strength. God will give you the resources. God will give you the power to rebuild that testimony that has fallen in the nation. And Bethesda, that's why we need to pray like we have never, ever prayed before. I have this weird part of me, lots of those, but the one I'm talking about right now. When things get really tough like this, there's just a little something to me that says, bring it. Come on. Because you ain't seen the power of God that's alive in me and what he can do. Come on. Take your best shot. Come on. But we cannot. It's not, it's not by might. It's not by power. Not by our might. Not by our power. But by my spirit, says the Lord. Because the battle is his. And he's never lost a battle. I said he's never lost a battle. And he never will. He never will. And that's why we need to pray like we've never prayed before. Turn up the heat on the prayer. It's time to pray. It's time to press in. It's time to open that window into God's mercy. And while it's certainly easy to lament about the condition of our country, I still believe within me, I've said this before, and I believe it more today than I did the day I said it to you a few months ago, I believe this can be the finest hour for the church. The finest hour for the church. I believe we have an open window and an incredible understanding of just how merciful our God is and what he is willing to do. That's why he sent his son into the world, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be, might be saved. The heart of God is to forgive. The heart of God is to restore, which is exactly why all hell will come against you now when you, when you stop praying or to try to get you to stop praying. All hell comes against that. That's why you find yourself threatened on every turn. When you make a choice to pray, expect some trouble. Expect it. When you've committed to go before the Lord and throw open that window into the mercy of God, expect trouble. It's going to happen. Church, I tell you what, we are living on the edge of one of two things and possibly both, judgment or mercy. And I don't know about you, but by the grace of God, I want to live to see his mercy in this generation. I don't know about you, but I am not willing to give this generation over to darkness. I'm not willing. I'm not willing. I'm not willing. I'm not willing that they should die in their sin and go to an eternal hell without God. I'm not willing. And I know that prayer moves the hand of God. I know what we deserve. I know what I deserve. Judgment. But God will give his mercy. Who's with me this morning? Who's with me this morning? Then stand to your feet and lift your hands and give praise to the God of mercy that we serve. We know we deserve judgment. 
We know what we deserve, but God in his goodness is giving. Come on, lift your hands all over this house. Balcony, did you get this message today? Lift your hands before the Lord today. Bless him, bless him. Come on, with your mouth begin to praise him for his mercy to us. He's a God of mercy. We bless you today, Lord Jesus.